Romans chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's all we'll read. Um, so backing up into chapter 4 just a little bit, and he's, Paul has been through the Holy Spirit. We say Paul, and I'm bad to do that. Uh, but the Holy Ghost inspiring this, we've been looking at a, a righteousness that is completely separate from man and man's works. Uh, uh, he's speaking of Abraham. We all know of Abraham even in the Bible called the father of faith. And here's uh, Abraham. And, and how did he obtain his righteousness? And Paul is explaining to us that it wasn't by circumcision or by religious ceremony that he obtained it because he was uncircumcised when God justified him. It wasn't by any work that he had done. If, if Abraham had worked for his justification and for his righteousness, then God would have owed it to him. But it wasn't of debt, it was of grace. And that's an important thing to know that Grace and work are two opposite things. You cannot have work and grace together. It's either solely of unmerited, unwarranted favor and moving of God, or it's that I've done something and God owes me and is going to repay me for what I've done. But Abraham's was separate from works, separate from circumcision, and separate from sight as well. He's going to talk... Uh, that Abraham's body was dead, Sarah's womb was dead, God had promised a son, and in a place that any way you look at it, this was an impossible situation. But he believed the word of God. He was, he says in verse 21, fully persuaded. God by his word, by the spirit of God had persuaded Abraham that this is what I said and this is going to come to pass. You know, it's, it's the same way for the church today. God has, you, you think about now, even, even if, if you just take a worldly mind or how the world would look at it, that we're looking for a resurrection of the body. We're looking for a home we've never seen with our eyes any evidence of that. And yet we are fully persuaded. I believe Frank, as he taught this morning, he was speaking of that, that he was fully persuaded of. You know how the church gets that persuasion the same way Abraham did. God, by the Word and by the Spirit, has persuaded the hearts of His people. And by faith, Abraham held on to the Word of God. Never a leap in the dark to believe God's Word. God's never spoken one thing. We've got thousands of years of history in the Old Testament to prove that God's never spoken anything that did not come to pass. 
But we come to here and we see it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So God made note in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that Abraham was declared to be righteous and it was imputed to him. It was reckoned to him. The word really means to take an inventory. So as God's looking over the inventory of of Abraham, God adds righteousness to Abraham's account. That that Abraham did not have on his own. That that Abraham was lacking and the truth is unable to obtain. I think a lot of times we think if we work and we do good enough, we can obtain righteousness with God. But with God who a God who requires perfection. It's necessary. You know, the way you and I love, we let those that we love, we'll let them slide in order to accept them. And and certainly we would. We would let our families in. We would let their sin slide. And those that we would count enemies, we would hold them to the line. But God is just across the board. And when a man breaks the law... He's no longer righteous. And however much that God loves, God cannot allow sin to be unpunished. He cannot allow sin to go without payment. And so man is held guilty before God. But God did uh, as He imputed unto Abraham, Abraham without works and without deeds, God reckoned him to be righteous. God didn't just write that that we could look and say, well, that's good for Abraham. But that's the same way that we obtain our righteousness for us also to whom it shall be imputed. Isn't it wonderful that we can receive something today that we did not earn. That we could not earn. Unable to obtain righteousness on our own. But for us also, if we believe... Now there is a requirement. What is that requirement? That we come to Christ in trust. The the word means to credit, to entrust. That we come to Christ casting ourselves down as nothing and putting all of our trust, our hope, our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, there's the hard part. That we, we would man wants to trust in church membership or uh, church attendance or baptism and all of these things that are fleshly and carnal. But in order to come uh, and have righteousness imputed, we've got to do like Paul did. Remember what Paul said? He was a a Jew, an Israelite indeed, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, uh, blameless according to the law. But he said, I can't all of those things as dung that I might have Christ. Where did he come to? To the place that any trust in anything else was laid to the side. And Paul said, my only hope is in the righteousness that's imputed through the Lord Jesus Christ. And without faith, we know in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. There's no other way to be accepted with God other than through this man, Jesus Christ. So righteousness shall be imputed if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus 
our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses. So I'd like to think right here just for a few minutes. So he was delivered. He was given over. The picture there is uh, uh, if Hot Springs arrested somebody, took them to Marshall and delivered them over under the sheriff's department to put them in jail. They were delivered up. And so the Lord Jesus was delivered. God gave him over. And Jesus was, you know, uh, sometimes we can say that in a way that it sounds like God forced our Lord to do that. But God delivered him and Jesus willingly gave himself over to that. But where did God deliver Jesus? He delivered him into the hands of wicked men. He delivered him into the hands of uh, the Sanhedrin and the Jews and the Romans and he was delivered there for the purpose of death. Remember Peter said, not so, Lord. Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be uh, slain and I'm going to rise again the third day and Peter said, not so, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is the cup that I came to drink. This is the reason that I came. And so why was He delivered? For our offenses. For the places where we've failed and broken the law. Very well known scripture over in Isaiah 53. You, You may have it memorized. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes... We are healed. You know what God's doing there? You you see the picture of imputation that God gave Abraham a righteousness that he did not have. Well, in order for Abraham to have that righteousness, there had to be payment for his sin. Sin cannot go unpunished. Violation of the law cannot go unpunished in a kingdom that's righteous, holy, and pure. So who is going to pay for this sin? If Abraham's not going to pay and payment is required, then what's going to happen to sin? It's not that it's just going to disappear in thin air. Sin is not swept under the rug and God ignores it. But sin must be dealt with. Sin must be paid for. So God is going to impute He's going to uh, to take an inventory and when He takes the inventory of the Lord, He's going to put our sin and our offenses on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is going to suffer now because we have come short of the glory and the will and the law of Almighty God. And so as the Lord Jesus is beaten, you know where those stripes should have been? On the back of the sinners. Abraham should not have been righteous. Neither should you and I. You think about the violation of the law that that we've committed in the short time that we've been alive. And we're not talking one or two. How many times have you broken the law of God Almighty? What should we have suffered if we received justice 
from the hand of Almighty God. That's what man screams today. Man screams we want justice and I understand that in a regard. But when we're dealing with a holy God, if God's going to deal to me justice, I don't have any prayer of making it on my own accord. David said, Lord, if you mark iniquities, who shall stand? If God's going to take account of all of our iniquities and hold us accountable for every one of them, will there be anybody able to stand before God? Will there? I mean, absolutely not. Not anywhere close, wouldn't you say? If you look in Romans, the last part of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, all of that's dealing with the sinfulness of man. And you know the conclusion that the writer reaches in Romans 3? That all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, and the law was given that every mouth should be stopped and that all the world should become guilty before God. That's where mankind was. And so the love of God desiring to bring salvation, sought a payment for our sins. He says in Revelation, looking at it the way you and I would, that the heavens were searched, the earth and beneath the earth, and no man was found worthy. There was not a worthy sacrifice found until the Lamb of God stepped forth. And you know what they're going to do? Now he's going to be sent... He's going to be delivered into the hands of these wicked men and there he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit upon and as he says in Isaiah, the wounds are for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So the suffering that I should have done, the Lord suffered for that. The beating that I should have taken, the Lord was beaten for that. You can see here's a man that deserved a beating and as the Lord Jesus' back is striped with a whip, the, the wounds that I would have suffered are being healed. He's bearing that there. Bearing our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. That, that's not a handful of people. That's not a few people that's done that. But the Bible's very clear that all have turned aside. All have broken the law of God. There's no hope for any man on his own accord. But the hope is here that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. So God took our account and as we look over the, the record of our life, we look over the sin and my God... Could you ever count the sin that's in your life? We've forgotten more sin. We think we're pretty good. But when you really want to take up the account, and just the big ten, just the ten commandments, and you, you break it down the way it really is, that you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. I mean, you think about the love that the law of God requires of me towards God. How often have I loved God like the law commands me to love God? I, I know that's hard, but that's, that's the book. You know what we need? We need a sacrifice. We're not going to make it by our own account. 
I need somebody else's account. So the Lord Jesus stepped forth. God delivered him. He willingly went knowing what he was going to suffer, knowing what he would endure, and God imputed the sins of a multitude on the back of the Lord Jesus, and he's beaten, he's suffering, he's spit upon, he's despised, and he's mocked, and he's hated, and he's nailed to the cross, and there he dies. And all of that was for our offenses. As the Lord Jesus is dying, he's dying the death that I should have died. But the truth is, the death that I never could have died on my own. Because what happens to a man that dies in his sins? He lifts his eyes in hell for a hundred years. The Bible says that the the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. So it's a payment that I could have never paid for. And yet the Lord who was perfect, who was complete, who was whole, who had never sinned, He could give His life as payment for the sins, not just of one. You think about a a sacrifice and how powerful and how righteous that the Lord's sacrifice was. If it could pay for my sins alone, That'd be a great work. But you know, the Lord's sacrifice paid for the sins of absolutely everyone that will come and believe and put their trust in the work that He's done for them. There's power to make clean. And so the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. In 2 Corinthians, same thing, worded just a little differently, that God made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so the Lord now, and I've heard before that the Lord unjustly suffered. And if you're looking at His account based on what he suffered, it was unjust. But looking at it through the lenses of God's eyes, God's looking at His Son and on His account is the record of sins of all those in the church. He's looking at and all of those have been imputed to Him. So as the Lord is suffering, He's suffering there for our sins. They've been imputed to Him. The same way that His righteousness is given to me. And today, we can be righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. That that it can be said that there's a home after this life. As already said this morning in the opening of the service, we've got an eternal judgment that's coming, and yet we have hope of a home that's eternal in the heavens with the Lord. Do you know how we can have that assurance? Not because I've been good enough to earn it this week, but because the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ paid for all of my sins and I'm assured of righteousness in Him. In Him and in Him alone. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So because we had broken the law, you can look back to Adam here as well. That Adam being uh, sinless, him being innocent before God, and there Adam transgressed the law. And what happened when Adam transgressed? 
He entered under the curse. He was then cursed of God. He was guilty before God. And so just as Adam was cursed, so we were the sons of Adam. We were of Adam's race, of Adam's blood, of Adam's seed. And so the curse fell upon us. You you know how you know that the curse was passed on us? He's going to say in Romans, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That's as far as you need to look. You can tell that the curse has been passed on to all men, that death has passed on to all, because all have continued in Adam's footsteps and example, and all have broken the law of God. But the Lord Jesus was made to be a curse. He was not accursed like Adam's race is. Remember, he wasn't of Adam's seed. In the garden, God said the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent. There was no seed of man involved in the birth of the Lord Jesus. That's that's one of the miracles. Remember the Virgin Mary? No seed of a man was there. He was born of the Holy Ghost of God. And so he was not under the curse, but God made him to be accursed for me. He was placed in my spot I would, my sins and my ungodliness was laid upon His back and that was the sole reason that He endured what He endured on the cross. And that God allowed the Son of God to, to suffer those things for our offenses. What love. If you could ever see that and understand what love that God has towards those that are in Christ Jesus that God allowed Him to suffer in the place of sinners. Not in the place of the spiritual elite. Not in the place of the best of the best. But Jesus came to die for sinners. For the bottom of the barrel, Paul spoke of himself and said, of sinners of whom I am chief. And I believe anybody that's ever been saved would say the same words that Paul did. That I'm the chief of sinners, but I'm confident of this, that Jesus Christ has died in my place. And so He was delivered for our offenses. Peter said, who his own self bear our sins in his body. This wasn't something that happened in a dream. This wasn't something that happened somewhere out of sight. Uh, Paul said to, I believe it was Felix, or maybe it was Agrippa, this wasn't done in a corner. But you know what Jesus had? He had a body just like mine and yours. And it wasn't some uh, invisible suffering that He endured, but His body was beaten. His bones were showing through His back. He was nailed physically to a cross and the life left His body and it was looked upon by man. There were witnesses to the suffering that the Lord Jesus endured. He bare it in His body. He took on Him the load of sin that was upon us. I've said this before. It's like if there was somebody under a, a heavy pack and I took that up off of them and said, I'll carry that. The load didn't disappear. 
Now to the man that was weighed down, the load disappeared off of him, but now it's on somebody else's shoulders. That's what happened with the Lord. It's not that sins up and disappeared, but He took them on His shoulders. He carried them to the cross, and there He paid for them. And when He paid for them, it was once for all. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other place to look. There's no other means for sins to be forgiven. But He paid for it once and for all. And anybody now, anybody that's going to be right in the sight of God, it's going to be through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other means. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So justification, a, a, an acquittal. So if you go to court, you go to trial, you know, if, if they find you not guilty or if you're acquitted, you'd like some evidence of that, wouldn't you? Because when you go back home and you go back to your hometown, everybody's looking, aren't they? I mean, this man was tried for this crime. It's hard to forget. But you know, if you've got the court record, look, I, I was not guilty. You've got some evidence that I was tried and the sin is no longer on my account. Well, you know, the Lord rose again that we could have absolute assurance. Maybe, I, maybe that doesn't explain it well. But if the Lord didn't rise, if there was no resurrection... How would we know that He was indeed the Son of God? You know, the devil, he's the old accuser. That's what Revelation calls him. You know what he's going to do? He's going to come and whisper, well, you can't believe in Him. He's dead just like everybody else is. You can't really trust in Him. And the assault is going to be there. There's going to be continual doubt and fear and worry. Well, was it sufficient? How do we know it's sufficient? But God gave us assurance of the sufficiency of Jesus and that He raised Him from the dead. And you know what that was? That was the public declaration of God that I have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood has satisfied the wrath of God for sin. God's wrath. Do you believe that God's angry with sin today? Yeah. I hear that a lot. You believe God's angry with the way that people act and behave on television, in public, the way they speak of the Word of God, the way that they live. Do you believe God's angry with that? The Bible says that God's angry with the wicked every day. You believe God was angry with you? And yet, Yet the church has peace with God. We're not afraid, cowering in fear, that judgment and fire is going to fall out of heaven upon us at any time, are we? I realize there's a reverential fear as of a father with God. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's, that, that ought to be. But I'm not afraid that He's going to come and slap me off into hell at any moment. I'm not afraid that He's going to bring some fiery judgment down upon me at any moment. You know why that is? Because the wrath of God that abode on me was satisfied by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He bore the wrath of God. He drunk the dregs of the wine of the wrath of God alone and it was paid for. My sin's been paid for and today I have peace with God because the Lord has paid for my iniquities. And I know that He did because He rose from the dead. The resurrection, listen in Romans 1. Verse number 3, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. In Matthew, you remember this in a couple of the Gospels, but they're going to say, Lord, give us a sign. And in a couple different ways, Jesus said, there's going to be no sign given. But the sign of the prophet Jonas, I'm going to be three days in the earth, three days and three nights, and I'm going to rise from the dead. In another place he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. You know what the continual sign was? His resurrection. That was going to be the sign that this man was the Son of God and an acceptable sacrifice for sins. So when God raised the Lord from the dead, God publicly declared to the whole world that this man Jesus is a satisfactory... Satisfactory don't even sound good enough. But He has completely bore the wrath of God as payment for the sins of mankind and that in Him... We can obtain righteousness not through anything good that we've ever done. Not because I came to an altar. Not because, and I'm not saying you shouldn't come to an altar, but people have their faith in things that they've done. I'll tell you why we're righteous. It is solely, only because the Lord bore the wrath of God on the cross. Come to the altar or not. That's the only means of atonement that there is with God. All the good works that we can do, they are not sufficient to satisfy God. Uh, You know, I've said it like this before. If I miss the next two house payments, and then in three months I pick up and I start paying regular, and I pay till the term's up, do you think they're going to forget about those two that I missed? No, they're not going to forget about those. That's going to be due. So you know, if, if today... From now till the end of your life, if you're perfect, without sin, for the rest of your life, what about all the sin that's already been committed? Even if we could be perfect and think about how foolish that that is to think that I'm going to be perfect till the end of my life. And yet... Man's trusting in his works. It's pitiful, ain't it? You know what man is? He's blind to the righteousness of God Almighty. But you know, we've got evidence that God will not allow sin to slide. The Lord Jesus is evidence that sin must be paid for. And He's also risen from the dead as evidence that God has accepted Him and that God has accepted His sacrifice and that in Him we could come to Him today and let Him be all of our hope and all of our trust and we could receive atonement. Atonement. 
atonement, at one Be brought at one with the Lord Jesus Christ and in Christ. So as God looked at Christ on the cross, you know what He saw? He saw Him paying for my sins, my ungodliness and my unrighteousness and my failure and my law breaking, it was laid on the back of the Lord Jesus and God poured out His wrath upon Him looking at Jesus and seeing my sin. And so today those that are in Jesus, a resurrected Savior who didn't just do one work and His one work was sufficient. But you know where He's at now? He's raised again and He's seated at the right hand of God, and He's making intercession. He's actively speaking for us in the presence of Almighty God, and that as God looks at us today, He doesn't see me. Maybe you've heard the song, when He sees me, He sees the blood of the Lamb. You know what He's seeing? An imputed righteousness. God imputed my sin on the Lord Jesus Christ, And when God looks at those who have entrusted Him and put their hope in Him, He sees Christ's righteousness on their account. Christ has took their place. He's paid the debt of their sin. He's been sacrificed for them. And in Christ they are made righteous. And when He looks on His church, He sees His Son in whom He's well pleased. Because the church is in Christ Jesus. So raised again, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again from the dead. That's Romans chapter 8. So if we're in Christ, if Christ has paid for 100% of our sin, and if Christ's perfect righteousness has been laid to our account, and God, the judge of all, has declared us to be right in His sight, then who can accuse us before God? Who's going to make us guilty again? Who can bring us back under condemnation? I tell you, in Jesus Christ, we've got a salvation that is complete, that is finished, that is whole, and one that you could lay your head on the bed tonight and know... I mean with absolute assurance, fully persuaded that in Christ Jesus, if I leave this world, I'm going to have deliverance and hope of an eternal home in heaven. And it's not going to be because I went to church. It's because the Lord paid for my sins. It's because my sin was laid on Him. He gave His life and was resurrected, and in Christ we have a lively hope. A resurrected Savior who's in the presence of God as we speak. He's there today. Therefore, so therefore, I believe it's Steve Rogers, he says, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, we're looking back at what Jesus has done in chapter 4 seeing that He was given as full, complete payment for our sins. He was raised again that we could receive acquittal, that we could know that our sins have been paid for, and we've been placed in Him and righteousness is imputed. Therefore, 
being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So outside of Jesus now, when I look towards God, what could I expect to get from God? I believe he says in Hebrews pretty plainly, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Because I'm guilty, I've broken the commandments, I'm under the wrath of God, all I can hope for is judgment and wrath and the anger of God. He can't show me goodness outside of Jesus Christ. But therefore, because the Lord has done all that He's done, we have peace with God. No more wrath. No more war. No more fighting. No more, here's the word, no more enmity. But we're at peace with God. And notice now that it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of the Lord, there's no peace with God. Outside of His blood, there's no hope for me. Outside of faith and a complete trust in Him, I will not escape the wrath of God. But being in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We can lay our heads in peace. We can get down on our face and beseech God as a Father and not as a fearful judge whose wrath is going to be poured out upon us. But we have peace by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, He didn't just save and redeem and leave alone. How would that be a good shepherd? If He said, now you're one of my sheep, you're in my flock, now just go wander in the wilderness on your own. He didn't do that to His sheep. He didn't leave them on their own to figure it out themselves. But He has given us grace wherein at this present time we stand solely by the grace, by the influence of God in the inward man of our lives. And it's in Jesus that we have access to that. Know this now. It's not by any work that we've done that we've got anything from God. Should I live for God? Absolutely. Should I do the right thing? As a member of God's family, I ought to do the right thing. But if I ever get anything good from God, it's by grace. It's not by debt. He doesn't owe me to bless me. But as I come and lay my petitions before Him, you know where I'm looking for? For mercy and for grace. God, would you give me some unmerited favor and strength? And isn't it wonderful that we can count on the grace of God? That we've sinned, we've not done as we ought, and we can look to God and ask for grace. Your patience would run very thin with me and it'd run thin very fast. My patience with you would run thin very fast. But in Jesus Christ, we've got peace with God and we have access, admittance, admission 
into grace. In Christ, we are in Christ and Christ is in us, isn't He? By the indwelling Spirit of God, we have God within us that leads us, that guides us, that as, uh, uh, as Frank began to quote there, the 23rd Psalm, He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us in green pastures. He lays with us to rest and He's with us everywhere that we go. He is the Good Shepherd. He gave His life in defense and for the life of the sheep and He rose again to be with them forevermore. So he says in Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So you know what the church has? Just like Aaron was a high priest, He was one that Israel went to. They give him their sacrifice and Aaron went before God. But you know what Aaron was? He was a sinner. Aaron had to have blood for himself too. But you go back now. It had been something to have met Aaron and to have seen him in those priestly garments, wouldn't it? in the robe that God outfitted him, in the breastplate that God had made, in the fair mitre that God had made him for his head as he went in to execute the priest's office. No doubt that would have been something that we would have looked up to. What a glorious sight that that is. And yet here we have the Lord Jesus Christ who didn't go into the temple at Jerusalem. He didn't go into the tabernacle in the wilderness. He went to heaven where God truly was and there He offered His blood. So what's the conclusion of that? Since we have such a great high priest, let's hold fast our profession. Don't let this slip. But hold fast to the work that the Lord has done for us and let us continue because we've got a priest. You think about politicians. They're so disconnected from you and I, they don't know what it is to live and work a day. They don't. They they don't understand a bit more than a man in the moon what it is to live like me and you live. But you know what the Lord was? Why, He was God in heaven. He was. But a body was prepared Him and He came down and He lived in our shoes. He lived among men. He lived as a man. He was tempted like we were. He knows what it is to endure sorrow. He knows what it is to suffer pain. He knows what it is to suffer. And He can suffer us when we're tempted because He knows where we are. Amen. Where a man would say, I've never done anything like that. You ever heard that from a man? I've never lived like they lived. I've been better than what they've been. I've never committed the sin that they've committed. That's not the way the Lord does His sheep. But the Lord, having suffered and endured for us, He knows where we're at. He knows the feelings of our infirmities. He cares, the Bible says, casting all your care. Why? You ever talk to somebody 
and they're not a bit more listening than the man in the moon. Have you? And you think they just don't care. But the Lord, we can cast our care on Him because we know this. He cares for us. Why, you've never seen Him? How do you know that He cares for you? I can look back to the cross and I can see what He did for me there. I can see the suffering that He endured. I can see His resurrection. I have the grace of God within me and I know that He cares for me and I can cast my cares on Him. Listen. In all points tempted like as we are. He was put in the trenches. You may graduate officer school and you may never go to the trenches. The Lord Jesus come down to the front line. He come down not in the Garden of Eden where Adam was. Notice the when you read those. Look where Adam was when Adam was tempted. He was in a perfect garden with beasts that were obedient and in a place of paradise where everything was provided. There Adam ran into the devil and he fell in a moment. The Lord's cast out into a wilderness, a desert, and in Mark, in Mark he's sure to say that there's wild beasts there. That's got to be a comparison back to the Garden of Eden. He didn't come to a perfect place, but a place where sin had ravaged for thousands of years. The Spirit thrusts him out into the wilderness and the Lord Jesus faces the devil and he's tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Never failed. Never faltered. Well, how do you know that he never faltered? You know, the truth is from his birth to the age of about 30, we don't have any record of his life other than a couple days in Jerusalem when his parents left him and forgot him and they come back and he was in the temple teaching. So how do we know that he didn't sin somewhere from the age of uh, of the newborn to the age of 30? How do we know that? It's in this resurrection from the dead. God declared him to be righteous. Peter says at the day of Pentecost that he had risen from the dead because death could not hold him. He was sinless. And we have assurance of our salvation through this high priest that was tempted yet without sin. Therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. The devil says you can't pray. You don't deserve to pray. You don't deserve to seek God as wicked as you are. But you know what we've got? We've got a high priest that's better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. He didn't offer a lamb for me. He offered himself for me. And he didn't die and bleed out and that was the end of him. But he got up again and he's still the high priest. And in him and through his blood, I can come to God with assurance of the forgiveness of sins. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's all that's on her heart. Anybody got anything?